Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. My name is Joe Glover. Today we have a real treat. We have Mark Ritson, <laughs> which is just lovely. Um, Mark is one of the most famous names in marketing, full stop. His column for Marketing Week is read every week and, and shapes the conversation in, in the industry. His mini MBA is setting a new standard for qualifications in the industry. Um, and he's been doing it for a long, long time, you know, as well as his time as a marketing professor, shaping the minds of some of the world's most important marketers today. Needless to say, it was a real thrill to have Mark involved and I just really enjoyed it. I was so nervous. I'll be honest, I was really, really nervous getting into this conversation. But um, I feel like we relaxed into it and we had a lot of fun. The focus of this uh, part, and, and we're going to do something we've never done before and split this episode into two, because this part is far more about the mini MBA, whereas the second part, I don't know, it was just a chat. <laughs> it was it was just a chat between a couple of people who enjoy marketing. So this is the first part, all about the mini MBA, uh, why it started, who it's good for, why there's a couple of different courses, some views on training, some views on marketing. Uh, I know that the community really appreciated Mark's uh, speaking about market orientation as an example. So just enjoy it's a really really great session really enjoyable mark is on great form it is very sweary you know but that's that's what he does uh so hopefully that's okay with you i really think the content is worth sticking through if you don't like the swearing element i think the rest of the content is worth it nonetheless um so yeah enjoy the only thing to do before I pass you over to Mark for this first part of the podcast is to say a big thank you to our sponsors for today who are Hrefs. Hrefs are a new sponsor, um, spelled A-H-R-E-F-S, and they make it easier for you to rank um, in Google using an SEO tool that frankly just makes sense. We've been a customer for years, they're brand new as sponsors, and it's just an absolute thrill to be working with them. So do check out Hrefs. And without further ado, I'll get into the conversation with Mr. Mark Ritson. Enjoy. So, Mark, thanks for being here, mate. The first thing, context is important. So can you give us a brief intro to the mini-MBA and why you started it? Yeah, it's five years old, Joe. I think it's maybe going into its sixth year. I lose track. Um we, I was a professor of marketing for 20, almost exactly 25 years. And about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I started to realize that most marketers weren't going to do an MBA at a top business school, like a, a top 10 school. And most business schools were, were rapidly going in the wrong direction. And I thought to myself, well, what do we do about that? And so we created this mini MBA. And the reason it's called mini is basically it's not two years long and it's not the full business set of courses. It's just the marketing course that you, you get in the first year of a two-year MBA. So it's, it's literally the syllabus I taught at MIT and at London Business School turned into an online course and made a bit sexy along the edges and, and giving people a chance to get the marketing training without spending a hundred grand and doing two years of finance and, and org and all the uh, wonderful stuff, but stuff that most marketers I don't think have time to do. Awesome. And what's your, what's your proudest moment since starting the mini MBA? What's been the thing which has sort of made you feel more proud than anything? 
Look, I, I think it's ongoing, as you will probably identify with. There isn't one little moment, right? Because there's a series of hills that, you know, keep coming on the horizon. I think it's always the, the qual data, not the quant data. So we monitor, you know, quantitative scores, obviously, at the end of each course. But I, re I sit down and read all of the, the qualitative stuff, both good and bad, and that's the bit that really I, I enjoy. And we have so many messages from people and it goes beyond, you know, you talk remarketing and I'm more confident. It, it, it's life changing. And that sounds bullshit. <laughs> but we have literally hundreds of messages from people who say, right, so this course has changed my life because now I've done X or done Y. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that, you you know, you, that each one of them is your proudest moment because you think, well, that's that's just terrific, right? It's just amazing that it's had that effect on you. So, we, and we don't collect them, which we should, but people will literally, I had a message this morning from a woman that went for a job as a brand manager and they didn't give her that job. They, they gave her it one level up because they said, look, you're too qualified for this role, but we'd like you to interview for the role above. And we get this stuff all the time, you know? So they're the moments where you genuinely, I'm not a particularly nice person. Do you know what I mean? I'm not <laughs> evil, but I'm not particularly nice. But I do enjoy it when, you know, people who've done the course go on to achieve things as a result. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the best thing. Yeah, I think you're all right. I think, you know, you're, you're reasonable. Oh, no, I'm a bit of a twat, honestly, Joe. I'm not being falsely modest. I'm really, I'm a bit of a twat. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a decent enough fellow and all that. I'm not, e I was, I'm not evil, but I'm not one of these overly nice, you know, empathetic, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not in it for everyone else. I'm definitely in it for myself. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not pretending. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to be upfront and honest. Uh, and I, I can, I can respect that. Um, so the course is split into two. Uh, why would you take one over the other? Because um, that was something that was less clear to me to start off with. Yeah, it, it's not clear because it's an MBA thing. So when I taught um, business school, I would teach the market. So when you do an MBA at, at, at say, London Business School or somewhere, you, your first year is all core subjects. So you'll do a 12-week course of marketing, accounting, finance, negotiations, you know, and that's giving you the sort of core knowledge of business. In the second year, you then specialize and you would typically do a dozen courses in an elective. So if you're a finance guy, you're off doing corporate finance stuff. If you're marketing a woman, you're going to go off and do 12 marketing courses. And I taught the core marketing class. And I also taught the specialist course in brand management, which is quite a famous course when I taught it. Mm. And so the brand management course is more specialized and it's slightly more advanced. And it's for people that manage brands, obviously. Mm -hmm. We always say to everyone, if you don't have a proper, proper training in marketing, and some people do, come and do a mini MBA marketing. Even if you're super experienced, you'll get a lot out of mini MBA marketing. And then if you are a want to go on and do a second course, the brand management course is a completely different syllabus, albeit in the same style, mm -hmm. do that. The only time we fast track people and say, go and do brand management is they're, they're a brand manager and they need training in brand management. And we say, look, go straight to the brand management course. You need that straight away. Okay, well, I, I did the uh, the one in marketing, and uh, I, I was sort of familiar with diagnosis, strategy, and tactics. You know, that was something I picked up from your articles over the course of time, and for me, that was that was really, really useful to have that deep dive. And actually, I haven't done the brand management yet, so I'm really interested in doing it because actually, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to blow smoke here, but like, 
you know, it's on the basis of the experience that I had through the marketing course, but then also sort of your own sort of personal brand, you know, I kind of got faith that it will be good. Um, however, I've sort of seen when you've sort of spoken about like uh, brands before that, you know, you don't really start to build up any sort of uh, notoriety in your brand within the sort of f first five to 10 years, really. Yeah. So like, is it for, could you go on the brand management course and still get a lot if you're in an SME or a company younger than five years? Um, is it appropriate for those folks at all? Or would you just sort of say, stay away? It, no, look, it, there's nothing wrong with being trained early. The, the mm -hmm. point I've always made is, um, and it's an arbitrary number, but and it'd be interesting to get your take on it. My experience with a lot of brands was that up until year five, you, you've obviously got a brand, but applying brand management principles is still too early. It's moving around, it's morphing. You know, I'm sending a five-year-old of mine tomorrow to kindergarten for the first time. And, and there's a coincidence, but not a coincidence, that only at five do they really need to go to a structured learning environment. Before that, it's, you know, they can learn from puddles and stuff. In the same way, <laughs> brands move around too much and you can overmanage them in that early stage. So I always say when you've got to a point of profitability, when you've broken a couple of million bucks of revenue, when you open your first international affiliates or about five years, that's around the time when locking it down actually becomes a, a positive rather than a negative. Um, and most of the, I mean, I'm lucky. We talked about it earlier. I've worked with a lot of big brands and the founders and talked for many, many hours with them about when they were small brands. And there aren't many of those guys that would disagree with that point. You've got to let it find its footing certainly with mini mba that's been my experience it's only now we've kind of locked it down There's, a lot of it was what we intended but some of it you know convenience is something we've learned on the job has become predominantly attractive and we i never had a vision of making it convenient for people it was only later we really you know, i used to sell like the virtual classroom and how bang whiz it was and all that and then i realized oh no 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 the virtual classroom is people's kitchens with cats and babies and shit happening <laughs> and the point is we can still have world-class training and you're working you know on on the tube train or in the gym or in your messy kitchen that's the virtual classroom and we we got that from our people by accident and i think that's a good example of how you need four or five years for it to find its place mm -hmm. And, and then you can kind of start saying, right, now we know what this thing is, we can manage it. Yeah, yeah interesting. Well, you know, it is fascinating. And, and, and you sort of said you'd be interested in my perspective, so I will offer it in there. Mm. But what do you know? You're three years in now, is that right, Joe? Is it three or four? Well, so it's it's five years running the marketing meetup, but oh, that was, was that yeah, but like it was in a canteen in Cambridge for a long time, you know, and it was just physical, yeah, yeah, an event to to start off. Actually, for something for the community, then we're looking to uh, bring back in person events from mid March onwards. So that's mm. that's an announcement right there. Um, but it's funny. So we made our first hire at the end of last year, and uh, and. Um, you know, we're now starting to put in processes and we're doing stuff like, you know, thinking about becoming a B Corp and stuff like that, which forces yes. us to to write processes as well, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's only really sort of this this far in that it's actually starting to uh, to sort of land in that way. So, you know, actually that five years thing is probably quite coming up. Experience. You can for a while. I, I still think when it's organic and small enough, like meeting you and, and you, you get it, you know, I mean, one of my favorite stories was that 
the, the man that ran Benefit Cosmetics, Jean-Andre Ruggio, he sort of inherited this chaotic business from these two twins who'd started the business Benefit in San Francisco. And for the first five, maybe seven or eight years, you met the twins and you saw their crazy shit and you just got, <laughs> you got, you'd have to be a moron not to get what Benefit was. It was fun and it was, you know, all these things. And then he went to a, they opened a, an affiliate in Korea and he famously went to this as the CEO. And there were a bunch of Koreans in, a, in the first benefit store in Korea. And they were painting plates. And Jean-Andre said to the Korean GM, basically, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and the Korean GM said, oh, this is a brand building event. And he's like, <laughs> but then he realized it was his fault because he'd not explained what any of this was to Koreans who'd never met the twins or, you know, that's when the artificial, you know, has to kick in and organic loses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. More than 10 employees, international offices, growth, 5 million bucks. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, artificial wins at that point because organic just turns into chaos, you know? That's interesting. I mean, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, chaos is something I definitely resonate with because as much as it might look like a swan on the outside, then it doesn't feel like it on the inside. Uh, by the way, there's so many lovely uh, messages coming through in the chat. I'm, I'm looking at them all streaming in. So I just want to say thank you to everyone as well, uh, both in praise of the mini MBA and also excitement about the in-person events and stuff like that. It's, it's so wicked to share. This yeah, it's cool. Um, you know, but chaos is, is something that... Um, you can resonate. And I've always feared losing that organic sort of stuff. Um, and I'll work hard. As you would as a founder, as you would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's how you are. I mean, what you haven't noticed as this has been going on is your DNA has been almost directly transferred into the business. Yeah. I remember doing a gig in New York with Donna Cameron when they were trying to sort of fix the brand and Donna was there and she wasn't meant to be there, but she wasn't not going to be there. You know, I'd been, I'd been assured I had dinner with her and I'd been assured she wouldn't be at the actual work we were going to do and I got in there at 6 30 in the morning and she was there and I remember she was absolutely useless at working <laughs> out what the Donna Karen DNA was not because she's not a brilliant woman because it, it was her and it was she was so close to it she was like you know well it's just you know she couldn't see it because it was her you know and I think there's that founder relationship as well where you you know you you, you think it's chaos and all of that but actually it's your shit being transferred onto the business mm probably forever you know yeah, absolutely and that's really interesting so i'm going to jump ahead to one of my questions here because um the, there was a i was listening to your interview with uh louis uh from everyone hates marketers oh yeah louis the other day. <laughs> like he's a great you know i mean congratulations he's another one i mean it's a little there's a little satellite group of us isn't there that are sort of i don't know what we're all doing but it's not it's not happened before okay. <laughs> uh, louis is uh, he's doing so so well he's taken a three-month sabbatical to prioritize his kid which i think is amazing um but in that interview with uh with louis you sort of pointed to the genesis moment of of the mini mba being something where you realized that you were the only person that you could do it because you were a person an adjunct professor at that time um you were no longer traveling for consultancy um yeah. and there was there was a there was a third element to that and you know on this sort of thread about the sort of founder founder stuff do you think one of your main lessons in the mini MBA is about market orientation. Is there almost like a, a founder exemption to market orientation where you have to go with gut feel and sort of say, you know, I feel like this thing is right and therefore I'm going to yeah. do it. Or do you? No, no, you, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and I think you've, you see that across many great businesses. Um, 
the thing that you have to do when you work with any founder business is that moment, that exemption from give the customers what they want. You, you, it's too early to go and do a you know research. It's like I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, as I think I said to Louis at the time, everyone thought Mini MBA was a dumb idea. I had to I had to basically threaten Marketing Week that I would stop writing for them. <laughs> For them to do it you know they kept forgetting about it and i kept having to raise it at meetings it was really uncomfortable you know like i was selling insurance you know and um i i remember like sort of pushing it so hard and of course that's dangerous because it's not market oriented it's me going i know people want this the trick i think is once you've got that kind of energy is to then turn the wheel and go right go and find some people that theoretically would want to do this course and listen to them now and shut up and then come back. And it's that turning of the wheel. You know, what you'll often find is idiots online are either all about creativity or they're all about research. And of course that bothism point is in, in my life, the trick is, you know, products, most products aren't developed from an unmet need. There's some lunatic like you going, I bet we could do this in a canteen. (laughs) The trick then is really quickly to get into the market and check and, and explore. And then as you launch it, learn from it as you go and keep listening. That's the trick for me. You can start on either one of those sides of the equation, but then turn the wheel between them. Um, because again, this sounds crazy. You saw it in the discussions we had on mini MBA last year. Most managers have really fucking convincing arguments why they shouldn't talk to customers and they're all totally fucking bogus. They sound like they make perfect sense. It's nonsense, right? Why on earth wouldn't you want to talk to people and go, what do you think about what we're doing? Do you like, what do you like? What do you not like? There's no, there's only good can come from that. But you'll listen to these managers giving you these very serious explanations about we really shouldn't be, here's why we don't do research at my company. And it's like, it's because you're fucking useless. That's why you're not doing research. (laughs) This, This sounds sensible what you're saying, but what you're really saying is, I am useless, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of love coming from that comment in, in the chat feature right now. Um, let's speak about market orientation, because that was one of sort of the, the big sort of takeaways from the mini MBA mm. as well. Um, I guess we could go in two directions from, from this question. You know, the first could be something, you know, about like, what are the mind-blowing moments that you see people have time and time again with market orientation? Or the, or the second uh, could be, how do you go about doing it well? I'd, I'd be interested in both if you could spend a, a moment. Look, the, the big one, the big one, Joe, and we talk about it on the course is, I think a lot of companies, a lot of managers have this hypothetical customer. So that's, that's kind of who, when you, do, when you aren't market-oriented, you create this, you know, amalgam, fictional person and the problem with that fictional person other than they're fictional is they're always kind of fucking happy and they always do what you expect and the first time you work with a company and sort of smash through that and go right we're going to go out and actually talk to some of your customers the first thing that the, the big moment for many companies is oh fuck they're all different and it's like yeah 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 because of course the hypothetical customer is a single person the minute you go and talk to 10 people that, that you know tune in regularly for you or that have subscribed for me what you discover is oh fuck these people are completely different and they want completely different things and, and that's the that's when you you know when you go from market marketing is you know here's me in the office you know looking at the customer talking about the customer like you know like i'm being doing marketing that isn't it as we said in the class market orientation is seeing what the customer 
thinks about me, right? And the minute you do that, you go, oh, fuck, there's like five, 10, 20,000 of them. Shit, they all want it. And the complexity of that is enormous. Mm -hmm. The thing you have to then tell companies is that complexity hasn't been revealed by research and market orientation. It was always there. You just knew nothing about it because you had this hypothetical, pointless thing. So I think that's the moment where chaos starts and then you can structure it back. In terms of doing market orientation, well, there's a million different takes on this. Uh, for me, the you know Jeff Bezos was the great hero of market orientation, um, and you know he has a mixed press, for, you know, because we hate all multi multi billionaires, partly for good reason. But Bezos was to the end of his days at Amazon as CEO spectacular at this. The humility of just forcing the organization to remember. We don't make this. It's all about them consuming it. And that swivel is enormous. His great trick was, I mean, this isn't a bullshit story. He did it a hundred times. They'd be having a meeting at very senior levels in Amazon. And he'd go outside and he'd wheel in a chair, an empty chair, and he'd put it right in the middle of the meeting. And he'd go, that's just to remind everyone the most important person isn't here, the customer. And no one has a fucking clue what they're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And it, that's the bit where, you know, uh, if I've seen one thing on my travels, it's that people who work in marketing think they know what the customers think, and, and they don't. They just don't. And the good ones remember it all the time. Absolutely. Now, spot on. I, you know, I wrote about this last week that when I entered marketing, I, I wanted people to sort of see something and go, oh, Joe Glover did that. You know, that was awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. saw that. <laughs> and it, it was the moment I removed myself from that, that actually um, I started becoming less mediocre at what I did, you know, so it's, um, it's really, really important. Um, folks, there's, there's a bunch of open questions in, in the Q&A, so I'm going to take a, a, a change of tact and, and sort of uh, come in on, on some of those. Uh, if you see a question that you like in the Q&A, make sure to give it a thumbs up uh, so that we can uh, ask those questions uh, that sort of gravitate towards the top. Uh, so the first one comes from Katya, who actually asks, uh, how can older market marketing professionals stay relevant in a significantly more digital industry? Uh, and Look, yeah, I think it's it's more a matter of perception than reality. I think only in marketing do we look down upon uh, experience so badly. Um, most of digital, most of the, the talk of digital marketing it is and, and always has been essentially reinventing the wheel and doing it brilliantly, by the way, but creating essentially false castles, um, which are no different from the original castles. Um, there are some exceptions to that, um, particularly when we get to tactics and execution. But again, I grow tired. You know, people have this, well, it's changing so much now with the metaverse and all that. You know, some of you on the line will remember uh, what Marlborough Sunday, Marlborough Friday was like 1990, right? That was a massive change in how all marketing works. Um, so we've had these changes in the tactical world all along. I think older marketers, and by that, I mean anyone over the age of 28, it's just how we kind of draw the line in that fucking ridiculous. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> should remember that you've got, as Joe says, diagnosis and strategy and then tactical execution. If you're still involved in tactical execution, and that's the only thing you're involved in by the time you get to your 40s, I admit it's tricky, but you should by then have moved upstream into a broader, more strategic, more managerial role 
and and that behooves an older mentality. It's a much bigger strength, you know, to be older. Stay out of my advice to anyone: stay out of tactics and and get out of the digital ghetto early. Nothing wrong. I mean, you have to have digital sensibilities and tactical skills now. Of course, you do. But if you stay in the digital world, if you have a D prefix in your title, your salary has incredible limitations, and your access to strategy and bigger roles will be limited you need you know by all means keep those digital um uh, skills but climb up into a bigger broader role asap and if you're uh, you know if you're older the quicker you climb the better right <laughs> i was just laughing at 28 <laughs> i think it's about right joe i mean I, I, if you've ever been in an advertising agency you're struck with two thoughts right yeah. Are there any old people and were there any unattractive people ever in this office? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's never any old or ugly people to be seen on these beautiful floors. Do you know what I mean? Something very wrong there. Until you get to the management team who are all old, ugly men. And then it's like, oh, yeah, there they are. Yeah. But, you know, the top or the top of the tree. Yeah, they're there, but nowhere else. Absolutely. No, it, it, it's and how horrible is that? Anyway. You know, let's not dive too deep into that right now. <laughs> gone forever. Um, Darkness over there, Joe. Stay away from the dark. <laughs> There's someone who turned 30 the other day as well. Then I'm now thoroughly depressed. So thank you for that. Um, so let's let's take a question that we got from Saskia before, because Saskia is someone who's uh, done the CIM, is a regular attendee of the marketing meetup, and also, has also done the uh, the mini MBA. Um, and so I know that you've spent an awful lot of time sort of like banging the drum for train becoming a trained marketer and you know mm. it's a drum that I'm banging now too um but is there such a thing as overtraining you know can we get too too caught up in all this and, and specifically Saskia asked you know I know all these concepts but I've almost got no time to implement them all now yeah 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 no no it, it is possible I mean in our industry it's it's rare Remember that 50%, and that's almost, I mean, it will vary by a percentage point, 50% of our industry in the UK, for example, has no training in marketing, first of all, right? So for those 50%, my message is, you know, getting trained in marketing makes you a better marketer, right? So you guys go off and get trained. For the other 50%, there is a small proportion, I would suggest that at some point, to Saskia's point, it, the training now becomes, you become your own professor. We talked about it at the end of the mini MBA. For many of the people that finish the mini MBA, my message is don't do anything else now. Go out and become a marketing manager or a senior marketing manager or a brand manager. And every year test and learn and develop. Because if you, know, if you meet a very good CMO, they all have different traits. You know, she can do this and she can't do that and he can do that the one thing I think they all have in common is they've all learned this trick 25 years ago of I will, as I'm doing marketing, I will learn marketing. I think education helps speed up that process. But it, it, at some point to Saskia's point, you become your own professor and you teach yourself. And I, I'm a big fan of that. Having said that, I'm not a big fan of the Neil Patel, Gary V. you know, you can teach yourself on YouTube because the, that takes you in some wrong directions as well. So I think, yeah, foundation of good applied training, but at some point the university of application and execution is the best place to learn. So I don't know, you know, that, that line about Neil Patel and, and stuff like that. I mean, so my, my pet hate is marketing Twitter. You know, I hate, you know, the sort yeah. of 
the, the the denigration of our industry to you know 280 characters and a lot of it is a load of rubbish you know it, it bores my blood and and but are we you know do we just ignore that or is, is that like yeah. damaging you Look, know the, you, you you just ignore it joe you there's so much you i always say there's so much urine on the floor in twitter it's 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 a place to avoid most of the time right and and i, I one of my i think correct decisions was when I write my columns, I have no interest in those 60, 70 people that occupy marketing Twitter, because I don't give a fuck. I really don't, right? <laughs> there is a silent majority of marketers who are doing work and practical work, who have proper questions and proper answers. Mm -hmm. And that they're the people I, I want to write about, learn from, talk to in columns do you know what i mean mm -hmm. everyone else is just you know metaphorically speaking you know masturbating in the corner of the room i'm not <laughs> interested in in them it's all wank and i'll give you some clues right it's um how to spot it if if marketing twitter ever writes something they call it a piece like it's a fucking artwork right it's not a fucking piece right um they're obsessed with these little intellectual tricks you know what i mean like you know co confounding tricks with data and all of that and reliability and you know and it's all hey guys fuck off you know what i mean what a load of bollocks you know what i mean what a load of bollocks so yeah back to the work itself is the key thing and marketing twitter you know anyone who bills themselves as a guest speaker for example must not be listened to ever it's not a job it's not yeah. a job now i'm a virtual marketing professor so i should fucking know right but <laughs> professional guest speaking is not a job right we need to listen to marketers who do the job you know spot on. right you're spot on in that you know if, if folks ever put keynote speaker into their linkedin profile then they're not coming to speak at the marketing meetup you know so. and the other one by the way Joe, i've always been passionate about anyone that does something weird with their finger on their profile picture always a fucking fascist every single time you know what i mean it's kind of like this passive aggressive like i'm a thinker i'm telling you to be quiet i'm like always a fucking like proper fascist isn't there a picture of you doing that like just like you know. oh yeah definitely but that's that i got someone someone emailed me about it because that's isn't that a fascist symbol of like white supremacy as well actually you're right yeah yeah <laughs> someone emailed me and, and i mean i did this like it was like all my all my photos of like you know 1998 but someone's like, you want to be careful with that one because it's like white supremacy. I'm like, yeah, okay. I didn't, didn't no. think about that one. No, 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 no. Let's, uh, yeah, <laughs> again, let's move on. Move away. From <laughs> so actually on the topic here, then then uh, speaking about, you know, the sort of marketing Twitter and stuff like that, then last week you wrote your column about NFTs. And uh, yeah, what a lot of bollocks they are, right? Oh, well, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put you too much into to rant mode here, but, you know, like, a lot of the the learnings from the mini MBA were sort of about the difference between strategy and tactics, and you know that was something yeah. that was so so you know came through throughout you know and, and through everything you've done. But you know, I, I guess my question off the back of it is that you know I'm with you that NFTs sort of in their current form, and I think you wrote in your article, you know, the underlying tech is actually quite interesting potentially, but you know not for today. But how, especially when you're a young business, how do you sort of balance that that first mover advantage and curiosity as well because that was you know it's a good trait to be a marketer and to be curious um how do you balance that sort of first mover advantage advantage and curiosity against sort of like a healthy 
state of cynicism for like all this sort of new stuff that is that's coming through right now yeah it's i think there's room for it right but probably at an organizational level Uh, and i think you know i was trying to be sort of measured in that article because i see two things in nfts right very small things at this point obviously the metaverse implications down the track of a payment currency of some kind whatever maybe and then a, a small tactical gimmick to generate a little bit of attention and community. Right? Nothing wrong with that, but, you know, that's it. It's the contrast between that, and curiosity about that is cool, and this complete, uh, we've lost our shit about NFTs. M- NFTs are now changing marketing. If you don't get Web 3.0, you don't get marketing. Marketing has changed forever. Here we fucking go again. 3D fucking printing. Here we fucking go again, right? Fucking... Nintendo, what was the fucking virtual reality game where we were all going to change marketing forever? Do you remember that one? It was like, yeah, fucking, yeah, yeah. and then it was Second Life. And it's like, for fuck's sake, the pornography of change. Yeah. And what it is, is people, again, who have no foundation in marketing going, right, I know nothing about marketing because I have no training in it. Mm-hmm. But now NFTs have come along. This is something new that no one knows about. So I will I will attach my, my hook to that and I'll become an NFT expert. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a little, little thing. Mm. Um, and yet we lose our, our, our disciplinary shit about it. And every, the sad thing for me is everyone's so scared to call it out because all these pictures of monkeys and bad artwork and everything, it's like that's got nothing to do with marketing, literally, right? But everyone who's over the age of 29 is too scared to say anything because they'll look out of touch and then you know they already feel like everyone's looking at me like I don't understand the future. If I say something like, what the fuck is this? it'll be even worse. And again, it's for those people you have to sort of write and say, it's okay, it's a lot of bollocks, it'll pass. It's okay, you know, it's not you, it's those people over there who have lost their shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I went and asked my mum and uh, my wife, you know, whether they'd heard of NFTs and, and neither of them said that they had, you know, and, and one's a scientist, the other's retired you know and that was a little bit of a test you know for me you know is it as important as people are making out and you know you know it clearly wasn't so you know it's uh, that's just really really interesting um i'm gonna take a question from the q a uh, right now um do make sure that you're giving those thumbs ups to the questions that you want answering uh mark has generously said that you know we can carry on beyond the hour but i want to make sure that we get the questions that you really really want answered uh answered so the next one comes from the very, very lovely Ruth, uh, who says, uh, what do you think is the single biggest challenge facing marketers right now? Uh, It's probably either inflation, which has some tasty implications down the track for price setting and value, Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe linked to recessionary forces. Um, That's probably the big one. I mean, I think not losing our our collective shit over the post-pandemic world is high on the list too. So, you know, I was, all of us were asked two years ago, you know, what what will the post, what what will be the implications of COVID on on marketing and consumption? And um, and I I got it sort of half right and half wrong because I said, look, I don't think it'll have any impact. We'll get back to the extrapolation of the, of, of where we were going anyway. But we still don't know because we're still in the crisis, which has taken longer than most of us anticipate. We're not out of it yet by any means. I still think when we get to the other end of this, whenever that is, 
we will gradually return back to where we were before. I worry that, you know, and that isn't the same place as 2019 because we were changing anywho, mm -hmm. but I, I worry that a lot of marketing will, will again, lose its shit and, and overstate those changes mm -hmm. attitudinally, behaviorally that are part of a consistent trend anyway. Interesting. And on pricing, I mean, that's something that is hard, you know, and, and actually that was one of my things from the mini MBA that I was like, ah, I haven't done a good job here with my pricing, <laughs> <laughs> which, which wasn't good. But, you know, actually one of the points you made in uh, the marketing mini MBA was like, um, you know, always price high because you can go low, you know, you can go lower, but generally speaking, you can't go higher. But with the inflationary pressures and, and stuff like that, that's yeah. going to be in over the next few weeks months years how have you have you any thoughts on how we can approach that sort of price rise situation other than sort of say kind of is what it is you know is, is there a good marketing way no, to it, get around it, that? and it's something we haven't faced in in the marketing generation as well right joe you've got to go back to really the 80s for any proper form of of inflation and, and when we last went through it so most operating marketers you know we don't really have that in our in our system we we are constantly reducing prices to our detriment mm -hmm. the idea we're going to have to put them up is tricky and of course what happens is we have this thing called the menu cost effect normally what a marketer does so let's say we go through an inflation in the uk of five percent next year the marketer looks at their prices and goes oh, i don't want to put the prices up i piss off customers and i've got to change all my things i'll eat that five percent and they do it again the following year and the following year. And before you know it, the impact on profitability is gigantic. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the, the trick with all forms of pricing is, is if possible, to, to reformat the, the territory around it, right? To take it to, so through bundling or rundling or contextual changes, attempt to, to move things in a certain direction. Uh, but it's, it's not easy. And, and what we know from past experiences inflations demand higher prices but marketers usually don't meet if anything they're still dropping their prices so what inflation means from a firm point of view is less profitability and the thing we should mention for everyone else's benefit that hasn't done mini mba is the thing that blows most marketers away when they do the course is a the importance of price which is right up there but b the impact of good pricing on the overall organizational profitability is incredible. Now that sounds obvious, but no one appreciates just how incredibly important it is to get pricing right at the start. Because if you don't, nothing else comes anywhere near it. And, and marketers are evolutionarily set up to price things for volume and for sales, which is wrong. Mm -hmm. rather than for profit which is which is right no like as we said on the course what i could take what have i got i've got a microphone stand here you go this costs 30 dollars, right i could sell that on ebay for three bucks that's revenue right any loser can make revenue right buying it for 30 bucks and selling it for 50 bucks that's a totally fucking different game that's what pricing is all about, right? Revenue doesn't make an ass of difference. Revenue is a childish thing. Profit is the thing we look to. And I'll tell you when I got first learned it, right? We talked about benefit. There was a time when Benefit Cosmetics had just broken a billion dollars. And I'd been in San Francisco and they're all talking about it. 
And I flew to New York and I was in a meeting with Gilles Hennessy, who was the, you know, at the time, the head of the Hennessy family. And, and we were having a meeting about something else. And during a break, I was boasting about how much, how well benefit were going. I said, you know, those guys just did a billion dollars in, in revenue. And Jill Hennessy was smoking at the time. I love it. He was just smoking in the building. Like, you're not allowed to do it. And he's just like, whatever, fuck it. Jill Hennessy looked up from his cigarette and went, how much profit did they make? And I went, I don't know. And he went, then you shouldn't talk about it. I went. <laughs> and, and he's absolutely fucking right. He's absolutely fucking right. Who cares about revenue? Revenue didn't tell you nothing, right? Marketing's not about revenue. Marketing's about margin and profit. And I think that... That's one of our, well, it maybe wasn't one of your big lessons, Joe, but it was one of the things I was trying to put into the course, you know, when we, when we built it. No, no, it was absolutely one of my big lessons and also a very depressing moment. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but um, on that, you know, so market orientation and uh, pricing, it seems to be the two things that you seem to tote as sort of like the, the biggest lessons um, that folks tend to take out of the mini MBA. But I wonder what sort of like the ugly duckling. What's the thing that nobody's paying attention to that you wish they did? Well, it's interesting. We do when we do the exit research. We always ask for, <clears throat> you know, which module did you like the best? Which was the worst? Consistently, what happens is whatever your expertise is, you don't like that module. So, anyone that worked in market research hates the research module because I actively encourage the mini MBAs to do their own research as much as they can. And researchers go, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And when we do comms, you know, we do integrated communications. Everyone that works in comms goes, oh, it was a bit superficial. And I'm like, yeah, but you're, <laughs> you're 25 years in comms, right? It's for everyone that doesn't have that. So what we tend to find is, yeah, everyone doesn't like the one thing that they're already, and that, that's the nature of a core marketing course. When we do the brand management course, all the brand management people just love it because it's their area and they're into everything. But yeah, that, that tends to be the weak point. Look, I think otherwise, I've be, I've become comfortable with the idea different people take different things out of it mm. um, to their benefit. And, you know, the more senior guys is very interesting that have been trained and some of them even have MBAs will say 60%, 70% of this I already knew, but I'd forgotten half of it and the rest of it was new. But putting it all together into a structure like this was what I came for. And I'm really happy. Do you know what I mean? And that's a completely different experience from someone who's like, I have, you know, I've been working in marketing for 10 years. I have no formal training. I, I you know, there's two types of, there's two types of person that I, and we have hundreds of them, right? There's someone with imposter syndrome who goes, I'm, you know, now a senior marketing manager with no training. I came to get rid of my imposter, uh, imposter syndrome. Thank you. There's the other one that said, look, my company put me on this course. I've got 15 years senior marketing experience. I really didn't think this would be any good at all. It's completely amazing. I'm much better. What do you know? A bit of training has made me even better. And it's like, yeah, what do you know? You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. They're the two responses we get a lot of. And, and they're all, you know, again, very, very rewarding for me. Absolutely. No, so they should be. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some chat, chat uh, comments coming in here about the imposter syndrome sort of stuff. And, you know, we had a, a talk a little while ago that really went down well with uh, Sahana Sakiran from uh, Content Square about imposter syndrome. Mm. And it's something that's real. So I'd really encourage folks to check that out. Um, the next question. Hey, and on that on that note, though, Joe, I tell you, I mean, I've always been an arrogant fucker, so I don't really have any imposter syndrome. But um, uh, it's interesting. I, 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 Michelle Obama is the best one for me on this, right? Because she's brilliant on it. She's from, you know, the south side of Chicago. 
And she said even when, you know, when, when she became first lady and she went around and, you know, at first, when that first year of meeting people from the World Bank and UNESCO and, you know, the, the head of, you know, MI6, she kind of assumed they'd all be geniuses. And it took her, <laughs> and she's a real smart woman, right? It took her about two years to go, hang on, these guys are fucking useless. They just all fancy themselves. Mm-hmm. The biggest cure for imposter syndrome in marketing is nothing to do with you. It's the realization that I have had that you would have had if you'd been on the journeys I've been on, just how fucking useless the average marketer is at marketing. Never mind you and, and your individual, you know, worries about your performance. It really doesn't matter. The bar is so fucking low. If you'd seen how low the bar is, no one would ever have imposter syndrome again, right? <laughs> it, it's it's embarrassing. You could you 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 you'd have to sort of you know stoop to get over the bar. Some of these CMOs are so fucking useless. They know nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Some of them are great, don't get me wrong, but a lot of them, a significant proportion of them, and it's well known in certain circles, which ones they are, mm-hmm. are just political geniuses, no imposter syndrome. They're the, the inverse of imposter syndrome, completely fucking useless, but have, have ridden the elevator all the way to the top with a complete lack of skill or knowledge. Yeah, most people's senior marketing reports uh, who manage them in marketing are useless, and everyone knows that, right? At marketing. I love this. So there's a, there's a lovely chat message from uh, Jade who says, Oh, Mark, you know all the right words to soothe my crippling self doubt. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, there's, there's a question here from Charlotte. Um, who asks, and this is potentially a bit naughty. So, I, I, you know, if, if you're- No, no, naughty's good. We, there's no limits here, Joe. You go, yeah. I'm happy, I'm happy. Right. Well, the, the question is, how does the mini MBA compare to the CIM uh, level six? Uh, if you've already done level six, is it worth doing or is there an overlap? And I love people's chat messages about this too. Yeah, I'm getting it. I've got a slightly uns- I'm going to guess the rest of that line was I've got a slightly unstable line uh, because I started. Stable, you know, it has once every day. If I drop, tell me. Cool. We're we still good though because I'm getting a little message here. But are you are you groovy at your end? Yeah, yeah, got you back now. Got you back. Okay, now. okay. So uh, we know the answer to that. We we about and it varies on each course, but let's say around ten to fifteen percent of mini MBAs have done a sim qualification, um, and, and they rate it, I think, relatively well. I think I'm right in saying, and my team will correct me, we've never had anyone ever come on that's done a SIM qualification that didn't rate the mini MBA as better. The end. Nice. Good. Thank you. Um, And by the way, I'm a huge fan of SIM and what they do. I think they're mm -hmm. awesome. Um, I'm I'm sure SIM might have data showing that people have done mini MBA but rate SIM level six higher, and it's very... Very good, but ever he wants that Fair enough. No, that's all good. Uh, cool. So let's go to a question I wrote down for after uh, the the mini MBA, which was uh, in in the the mini MBA you speak about two speed two speed uh, mark. Uh, the line might be going a bit funny here, so let me know. Um, no, I'm good. Cool. All right. So in the in the mini MBA, you speak about two speeds of marketing. Uh, one is uh, sophisticated mass marketing, uh, as touted by Byron Sharp, uh, and then there's also the plain old uh, traditional uh, targeting. Um, and 
you know, what struck me in the mini MBA was like, you know, we see a version of you uh, in, in your columns um, and stuff like that, which is quite combative. You know, it can be quite sweary, you know, and, and you know, the, the impression I got of you to start off with was certainly one of, you know, sort of someone who's, you know, sort of big and alpha and, and stuff like that. And then when I went into the, uh, when I went in to do the mini MBA, I was, I was struck by someone who was a lot more supportive and, you know, really encouraging and like, you know, just, you know, almost chilled in a way, you know, and really wanted people to succeed. Uh, acknowledging that your personal brand is going to drive a lot of sales for the mini MBA, whether you like it or not. Um, how conscious are you of this? Are you in your own marketing strategy? Uh, in, in, in other words, um, is becoming famous part of your strategy through controversy, thus increasing your own pool of uh, buyers? And really the question for the audience is, should we all be aiming to become famous? Yeah, look, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I've I've been I was a professor for twenty five years, so I've got a side to me which is a, you know I'm a teacher, right? So that's always been you know what I did part of what I did for a living, and I've been a columnist for about twenty years. So there's that side to me, and they both require different things. And if you ever like have a beer with me, or you talk to my wife. My wife will tell you I'm quite an introvert, really. I'm not. Mm. I'm not full of chat a lot of the time and I'm I'm quite run by the by the people in my household I'm not by any means top dog in my own house right I'm surrounded by by females in my household dogs women children <laughs> there's no other male figure here not by design just a, we never got any and I'm definitely lowest on the totem pole so I think you play different roles in 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 life you know when you're a columnist your job is to stir it the fuck up you know what i mean that's the only job now you don't want to say anything that's not what you think i've never written anything i didn't actually think otherwise you become you know piers morgan or someone mm. um but at the same time you yeah you exaggerated a little bit because you know i remember i remember being signed up to work for to write for marketing magazine by craig smith in about 2000 and I remember him saying, which columnist do you read in marketing? I'm like, none of them. They're so fucking boring. <laughs> like at the time, you used to, good old Ray Snoddy and those guys, they'd write columns about, you know, research is good, you know, and that was the column. And it's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And I remember when I started, I said to him, I'll get fired. I said, "You'll." he paid me 350 quid a week when I was at London Business School. And I said, you'll have to fire me in a year because you won't be able to handle the fucking heat I'm going to dump on you on your fucking <laughs> On your organization and he went ha 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 and i went I'm totally not fucking joking and and that that was always the goal from then was to get fired because it was too hot you know what i mean mm -hmm. and um that's columnists right but yeah teaching's a different game you're not you know you then you're working for your class mm. and you're trying to train them you know what i mean i mean i had a life where i worked in france for lvmh where i was quite exclusive quite exclusive you know mark with a c at the end mm -hmm. i used to smoke gitan and have quite you know, advanced conversations with French people. And I was very tasteful for a lot. You know, you can play different roles. Mm -hmm. But I do think, yeah, I mean, if there's one lesson, I mean, forget the teaching bit, that's servicing. Mm -hmm. it, 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 the personal brand thing tends to come down to being noticed and getting fame and, and notoriety, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the columnist thing. The most important thing is they have to notice you or you, you, you know, it's not gonna it's gonna it's gonna wash people away and i've had many experiences i mean my favorite one i've written about it was i was doing a uh, 
a talk at London Business School for the alumni when I was a junior professor. And I was on with a very famous strategy professor uh, who I probably shouldn't name. And um, I was like his warm up act and then he came on and I did my talk and I worked really hard at it. And then he was meant to come on after me and, and present, but he, he wasn't there. He was beamed in on a camera from California. And he was in like his dressing robe, uh, buttering his toast. It, like, you know, it, you know, and he just talked shit for 20 minutes. Well, you know, what, what do people think, you know, strategy is? Let me tell you what I think. And he was just fucking bullshit, right? And I'd worked for like six weeks on this talk about branding. And this guy hadn't even changed into his trousers. Do you know what I mean? And he just talked shit. And at the end of the session, everyone just thought he was, it was the greatest talk they'd ever seen. And they had no idea who I was. So I went and got drunk next door and I thought about why. And it was because they wanted to see him being him. Mm-hmm. And what he said wasn't important. And it was a very important moment in my life because like, right, if, if I'm not going to get people to, see my, to come and see me be me, mm-hmm. I don't really want to do this because I can't build great talks like this more than three times a year without giving myself a hernia. And nobody fucking cares anyway. Do you know what I mean? So that was the moment I was like, you know, shit, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to do something about it. Nice. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. No, I, I remember in a previous yeah, role, um, not at the marketing meetup, then we likewise had a, a very famous speaker come to one of our conferences and, and right, he was the last person right at the end. And he gave what I perceived to be the worst talk of the entire conference, you know, and, and people walked away with exactly that same experience, you know, so, oh my God, that was amazing. You know, and it's just really important that that happens. There's a lesson there, Joe, right? It's, it's, you build the brand, Mm. the performance itself, not that important anymore. I mean, it's over the long run important, right? You can't get away with it forever. Mm -hmm. Phil Kotler is the worst conference speaker I've ever seen. Yeah. Great man, really good thinker, you know, done a lot for marketing terrifyingly bad on a stage but people just look at him like lady gaga they're like fuck kotler talking about marketing you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. that's it man that's it that's what you want uh, i guess that's um probably feeds into one of those lessons that you sort of speak about big brands um their uh, dollar being like 18 times more effective than than small brands right you know? oh that's a beauty yeah we need to focus on that right yeah. everyone goes on about creativity and you know being brave fuck me you know, and all that stuff. The 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 number one driver of uh, of effectiveness is how big you already are. Yeah, it's absolutely the point. It has an eighteen times multiplier, and nothing else comes anywhere near it. So big brands are already getting maximum value because they're already big. You know, they're activating what they've already got. It's totally unfair, but that's the nature of the beast. That's what capitalism is. It's unfair. Spot on. Um, I can see a lot of folks po- posting, uh, posting their LinkedIn profiles in the Q&A or the chat. Uh, do you... Are they hooking up together, Joe? What's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, please do join the Facebook group. Has this fact. turned into Grindr? What's, what is this? <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, to take a sidestep, then I attended a talk uh, with through the Marketing Academy not that long ago. By the way, um, applications for the Marketing Academy are open right now. Sherilyn uh, would like me to say at some point, no doubt. And a life-changing experience, isn't it, Joe? I mean, like it's something else to do, right? 100%, 100%, really recommend it. So get yourself nominated. Um, But during that, we we got a talk by the then CMO of KFC. 
who described you as the king of marketing, uh, which, <laughs> which was uh, who's nice. that? Like Catherine Tan was it talking? Yeah, about yeah. Shit? Who was that? Catherine? Yeah. yeah, she's full of shit. She, started off. <laughs> she was awesome. I really, really liked her. Um, and so with that in mind, then one of the questions that regularly came up on, on the, um, on the Q and A's on the mini MBA that I saw an awful lot was the difference between B2C and B2B. And in your role as the king of marketing, I wondered whether you could settle this debate, uh, once and for all, because I personally don't think there's a big difference. But maybe I'm wrong. So what... no, there's there's very little difference. There are around the edges. There are a few differences, um, and we have more and more data showing that there's no difference. So if you are in B two B, the best resort is the LinkedIn B two B Marketing Institute, mm -hmm. run by a couple of guys who did mini MBA many years ago, Pete and John, and their team. And um, they've been looking at it. They've been taking Byron Sharp's team and Aaron Bogbass and applying it to B two B. Absolutely showing you know, as Field and Burnett did, that the principles aren't exactly the same, but they apply perfectly well. Um, I'd say for me, there's only one, there's two big differences, right? In my, and I, my consulting life was 50-50. I did as much work for, for Baxter selling to hospitals as I did LVMH selling to consumers. The two big differences are obviously the decision-making unit, mm -hmm. the buying committee. That's an added wrinkle of complexity that you've got to get into. And the other one is tactically, whatever kind of B2B you're doing, 70, 80% of it execution-wise is Salesforce. So as a marketer, you don't have to be that good, but you have to have a good relationship with the sales team and be able to work with them. Otherwise, you're a brochure designer. They're big differences. But I always use the chimpanzee humans example. You know, we're 99% the same. It's B2B and B2C in a nutshell. B2B marketers like to say, you know, oh, we need more B2B case studies. So, and I do try and put them into mini MBA so much so that they, in your cohort, they complain there wasn't enough B2C, which is like, oh, for <laughs> <sake>. <laughs> um, so here we go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really, really think we just need to forget about that. And I believe a good B2B marketer can go across to B2C with little, if any, uh, impact. I mean, B2B is a cooler place to work because there's less competition and frankly, more money to be made. Mm -hmm. I think it's funner, you know, personally, you know, I mean, if, if there's one difference, I, I find it more fun in a way, you know, yeah. because you have the opportunity to uh, get to know a buying committee and sort of, if you've got five yeah. or 10 people and, and sort of really help them, then, then that's a lot of fun. You know, that's. Um... And if you've got that relationship with the sales team where, you know, when a sales team finally gets to meet a decent marketer, often after 15 or 20 years of dealing with completely useless brochure people, there is this moment where they go, oh, fuck. Like I've, I've, there's an epiphany that happens with marketers where they've never actually done a proper marketing execution and made shitloads of money. Mm -hmm. And one of my great consulting experiences was always at the end of it, they're like, holy shit, this is actually working. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why we're here. Yeah. You know, we're making so much money that it doesn't seem right. That's why we're here. And, and marketers will be like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. And it's the same when a sales manager finally meets a marketer who's like let's do this let's work on this and let's let's they're like hang on hang on who are you this is a different thing that's a lovely moment as well you know that's awesome i love that i really love that um so i, I think we should probably finish up with a couple of questions mark because we, we've had our a lot of time and and you know there yeah. are a bunch of open questions but a lot of them are quite well distributed so i wouldn't say there's any that have sort of like really been like 
you know, let's make sure we ask those two. So uh, the one in my head is that you mentioned an app for the mini MBA uh, that yeah. will hopefully be coming this year. Um, yeah. I'm speaking as a customer here as much as anything. What's the update on, on that? As far as I know, and this is stuff that I deliberately avoid completely getting involved in. Um, yeah, we had a, a chat last week with the London team. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's interesting. The perception is always mini MBAs. It's just me. And we, I've got a team of about 10 now, right? Mm-hmm. Who all work on stuff. But um, yeah, the app's coming along nicely. We will definitely, I say with bated breath, launch it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, aimed at the alumni. There'll be some kind of rundling deal. And I've no idea that we haven't done any pricing research yet. I would imagine it's going to be like, and I don't quote me, but some, you know, I don't know, 150 quid or something a year. And as we update the courses and change the syllabus, you still have access to it as an alum. So that's the point of it. And there's other stuff going to be plugged in, but you know, therein lies the challenge. But yeah, end of, by the end of the year, it will be out. Awesome. No, that's last words. <laughs> yeah, that's wicked. Um, Sophie says, oh, see, Daily Ritson called it. That came from the, the chat feature earlier on where they were saying that we need an Alexa plug-in where we can just ask Alexa to sort of have a Ritson quote each morning. So uh, <laughs> you can fill that in if you want. You know, I, th- I feel like there's a market there. Um, I, I don't want to demean you almost, Mark, but, you know, like to wrap everything up, you know, this has been a session around the mini MBA. Um, so, you know, I guess i don't want to ask you for the elevator pitch but you know you've got your cohort coming up in april right um yeah we run in april and september mm-hmm. oh look demean away joe i would say to you look it's it's about 12 weeks of your time it's most marketers take five or six hours a week but they can do it anywhere literally anywhere um and i think and again forgive me if my numbers are one percent off either way 95% of the marketers who've done the course, and we're talking now 20,000 marketers, say that it has made them a much better marketer, okay? So if you dwell on that figure, do you know what I mean? It's like of 20,000 marketers, usually quite senior, you know, our average age is 43, senior management usually. Of the 20,000 people that have done the course, 19,000 of them say it's made them a much better marketer. It's that's it. That's why everyone's doing it. It's because it's an unfair advantage. And it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, the brand purpose of, of the mini MBA is to improve marketing. And that's partly true. But the most common bit of feedback we get from people who complete the course is don't I don't want other people to do this course because it will it will remove my my advantage over them in the job market and internally and externally. And it's like, yeah, fuck yeah, that, that's the right attitude to have. That's how good it is. People feel correctly that it makes them significantly better than everyone else and and so it should so it should absolutely well i'm i'm happy to throw my you know actual my my literal hat in the ring and and sort of say thank christ you liked it joe fucking hell it, was, <laughs> it, would, have been, it would have been a nightmare and we didn't we didn't i said oh fuck joe glove joe glover signed up for it i was like well we'll just have to assume he's one of the, he's the 19 one of the 19 and not the not the one of the 20 you know <laughs> well i don't know whether he bumped uh bumped me up or what but you know like no um, no i i really i really enjoyed it and uh you know, I, I definitely don't deserve to say fuck Joe Glover signed up. Um, you know, it was it was a great course. So you did great, well. mate. Super happy. And that's it for part one. Uh, I'll be releasing part two at the very same time as, as this. So there's no reason to wait for part two to come out. 
Um, I just thought I'd separate them out into two different places because they almost felt like two different conversations in a way. Uh, part one was very much about all the questions that you'd want ever answered about the mini MBA. Uh, and part two just feels a little bit more conversational on a sort of a chatty basis, a couple of people speaking about marketing. So uh, by all means, check out part two right now or save it for another time when you're out walking or cooking or whatever it may be. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, uh, do drop a rating. It would be really, really appreciated, particularly in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, just to let people know that you've enjoyed the episode. We haven't got a bunch of ratings yet on our podcast, and it'll be lovely to see a few more. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon.